Hello there, and welcome back to Interjections. Okay, that's my best Andrew impersonation.、Um, <laughs> hey everyone, welcome back.、Uh, unfortunately, Andrew is not in today, but we have a like-for-like like American replacement of equal, some would say, superior quality, Sterling. Please introduce yourself.、Um, all right, yeah. So、uh, no, thanks for having me on, guys.、Uh, you know, my name is Sterling. Uh, obviously, I'm a forum contributor as well,、um, and have been a interfan since about 2007.、Um, became an interfan from actually playing video games. Used to play the FIFA game back in the day、uh, when Inter had Adriano and、uh, Ibrahimovic, and I was a terrible video game player. But even I could spam crosses into the boxes,、um, and I've always actually、uh, loved the colors of black and blue. So. And then obviously、um, started watching games, and then Inter、uh, at that time was also really good, so that made it kind of easy to like the team.、Um, and they had Mourinho, and things were really exciting back then. And then I went through the banter era and never left. So、um, now I'm、uh, officially a lifer, and、uh, you know really enjoy watching Inter, and、uh, happy to be here today with you guys. Erfan, Mika, how you guys been? Good, good.、Um, it's tough, I think, for any Inter fan to not be pretty happy and excited right now. Um, great performance yesterday, and、uh, all's good on this end. What about you, Miko? Yeah, what can I say? Couldn't be happier at this point. Okay, so in today's episode, we're just going to recap the amazing derby performance. All right, let's dive straight into the derby. Where do we even start? It was a fantastic performance from pretty much everyone involved. I don't want to just sit here praising the performance because that'll be pretty boring, but. Any takeaways from the match? Anything you guys learned in particular? For myself, I was extremely impressed with Turam and、uh, Chalanola, and of course Mikatarian. But how did you guys feel? What were your takeaways? Yeah, so I can jump in on that.、Um, you know, my, my takeaways were really the tactical piece.、Uh, I thought was very interesting because、um, at this point, I feel like we've kind of beaten Milan in every way that you could potentially beat a team tactically. Um, you know, we there's been times where we played a little bit with the higher line and we've pressed them.、Um, yesterday, we decided to sit really deep. I mean, even before the goal, which did did come early,、um, I think it was the fifth or sixth minute.、Uh, even before that, you know,、uh, Aspioli, you know, they had the ball for the first four minutes, right? They basically were just kind of、uh, passing around, and we decided to sit deep and then、um, hit them on the counter.、Uh, but it worked really well, and I think that the thought process from Inzaghi was. Most likely,、um, that you know, this Milan team is obviously very athletic.、Um, they're very dynamic, so they can certainly beat you in transition,、uh, which obviously happened later on with that that Leao goal. But、um, if you kind of sit deep and dare them to break you down, I mean, we're talking about this new Milan midfield and how exciting it is. But it's not an extremely creative midfield.、Um, they're certainly not adept at necessarily breaking down a, a low block. And if you sit that deep, you also kind of take away. Um, the dynamic pieces that that Milan has because they can't really get in behind you. So、um, I thought it was really smart from Inzaghi, and、um, I mean you have to give him his credit, man, because he seems to always get it right in these big games. Yeah, absolutely. I think、um, you put it perfectly. Against the low block, they weren't really able to build up much momentum or speed.、Um, I saw some discussion about Pulisic, which I thought was spot on. He just kept passing it sideways because he had no space to operate behind our low block. They couldn't get runners in behind. If anything, they should have spammed crosses into Giroud, is what I thought, but they didn't for whatever reason, and we reaped the the benefits with an early goal. Erfan, what did you think of the performance of Milan's young colossus Malik Chiao? <laughs> 
Yeah, it was a it was a rough game for him. Um, you know, I think Taram just physically dominated him. It's funny because going into the match, so much of the discussion was how young and physical and athletic and fast Milan's team is now compared to the way they used to be. And, you know, we were up for the challenge. It's it's one of the things that I really like about the way we've been playing against Milan recently is all our players are fired up. Like you see someone like Dumfries who can sometimes be a little passive and he, and he brings it like against, uh, against Theo. And I think you saw Taram yesterday really just bring it against Dia. And he just, just physically imposed himself in a way that I think um, Dia wasn't ready. I don't think he was anticipating that Taram would be so aggressive. I thought um, he got kind of taken off guard by it. And obviously it wasn't a great game for him, but Taram, I think, impressed a lot of people. I mean, the goal by Taram, I mean, for, for a player who's gotten so much criticism for the way, you know, he finishes and, you know, his quote-unquote number nine striking center forward abilities, like, what a goal that was. I mean, it, I it, it was the first time in a long time where I actually physically jumped out of my seat, and it was just completely incredible the way he just everything on that goal, the way he set it up, the way he dribbled for a little bit to open up space, the way he turned his body, and then the the placement of that shot. It was unbelievable. So, yeah, Tia didn't have a great game. I think we were imposing ourselves consistently. And not to get, like, philosophical or emotional, but yesterday, like, throughout, the one thing I kept thinking about was, like, how amazing it was right now to be an Inter fan. Like, after years and years of just pain, um, and I'm not taking anything for granted or just getting carried away with one match, but like, you know, from the very beginning, you saw the banners, uh, unfold in Syria in the, uh, San Siro and you saw like them supporting Hakan with that Turkish flag, the massive Turkish flag there. And then throughout the match, like how excited Taram was Miktarian. I mean, I know I've been hard on Miktarian at times and you know, the fact that he consistently plays 90 minutes and stuff, but man, what a match by him consistently and like when you read about McTarian, I think some of the things people don't understand about him or don't know about him as fans is you know here's a guy who at seven years old basically lost his dad to like brain cancer and you know that's tough for any childhood regardless of how you know wealthy or privileged someone might be and so the trajectory of his life and like the arc of his career I think just blossoming at Inter is just it's such a great story and so as a fan yesterday I was just in amazement throughout of all of our guys and just how awesome they played. Speaking of Mkhitaryan, obviously a masterful performance. I think we can all agree that he's man of the match. But other than Mkhitaryan, Miko, I want to hear who you thought the next best player was. I think I would go go for Lautaro, which is funny because <laughs> we scored five goals and he didn't score any. But still, I think he was immense there. He was so uh, so much involved and like... Uh, uh, okay, in the first half, I think he lost a few balls in the midfield when when he received it from the defense. But other than that, he was like fighting there, like so much. I just I just love that <laughs> that I can't help it. Yeah, I think his mentality has just um, been night and day uh, compared to the player that we initially you know came into this team very young, obviously from Argentina. Um, you know, he had to kind of learn how to play with his back to goal. And uh, you saw yesterday, even though obviously he just got back from international duty, I think tw- like about 24 hours before before kickoff, I think that that's partially the reason why, especially in that first half, he looked a little bit off the pace with his dribbling. 
uh, which is usually very sharp. But um, the thing about him is that even when he's not 100% on now, he is so smart and understands our system so well that he's still able to impact the game. And I think you saw that yesterday, even though, you know, like you said, he didn't get on the score sheet. Um, he was still one of our, our best players. And uh, I think it's he's definitely a deserved captain of this inter side. Um, I feel really good knowing that the team is kind of built around him and his mentality. Did, did you guys see, by the way, that um, the gestures when Lautaro was asking for the penalty from Chal Hanoklan? <laughs> he I didn't did get that. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was, that, Which I that respect. Was funny. Yeah, Nago yeah. should take that. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because Lautaro is the captain and he's asking for the penalty from, <laughs> from the other guy. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. There's, there's still the hierarchy for the, for the penalties. I mean, Chalinola is becoming an immense defensive midfielder, which is something I never thought I'd say in my life. You know, when he was like a really crappy attacking midfielder at Milan, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he deserves all the credit in the world for how he's playing these days. Honestly, I can't think of many in Europe who are putting in as strong performances as he is and I'm not one to usually get carried away like that. Speaking of getting carried away, um, with our predictions uh, as I predicted, we crushed Milan, but Miko, you were closest with your 3-1 <laughs> prediction <laughs> and I think Irfan would have been happy to see Aslani come in as well. Yes, yes I was happy with that uh, I, I had predicted 2-0 I would have really liked to keep that clean sheet um, going into uh, you know game 4 But, uh, you know, that's okay. Uh, I think, you know, the one thing I found interesting about Milan, and I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts, but it's so funny. Like, the more things change, the more things stay the same with them. Like, we heard about Pulisic. We heard about their midfield. We heard about how young and dynamic and athletic they are. And yet every play, every attacking play from them, every, like, source of, you know, every threatening advance by them was almost exactly the same as it's always, which is, Giroud does some kind of hold-up play. He brings in um, Theo, who's making a run into the box. Or, you know, they try to get Liao in space, and Liao runs past whoever is defending him on our side. It's just the, the team... I, this is this was always my concern with Milan going into the match, too. Like, I, I just don't feel like they're very different than the way they've been for the last couple of years. I think they're still immensely reliant on Liao. And Giroud's hold-up play and his like pure center-forward play is always really good. But I feel like in a lot of ways they waste him um, because they use him basically as just like an outlet for people making runs into the box. And so I think that like you all mentioned, like the low block I think helped us tactically. But it's just it, – you could have put any other eight players out there, but everything still kind of flowed through, uh, you know, Leao, uh, Giroud, and Theo. Yeah, that's a really good yeah. point. I I struggled to think of a, a moment in the match that Milan hurt us where Giroud was not involved. Um, it seems like pretty much everything that they did well in the match, because uh, there were a couple of chances, and obviously there was a goal. Everything that they did well, it, it really went through the feet of Giroud. Um, anytime that he was able to get space without a Cherby being on his back immediately, um, all of a sudden there was, there was a dangerous move or action that came from that. Um, so I was curious. I mean, Because I think one of the big things coming into this match, um, and I also posted about it on the forum, was you know the DeVry versus a Cherby thing, um, and I was wondering how you guys felt that kind of played out. I mean, I personally thought that a Cherby was was fine. I think you have to give Azagi his credit for that. 
Um, you know, because when a guy doesn't have any competitive minutes coming into a derby, he obviously makes you a little bit nervous, especially when the guy he's replacing has been part of a defense that let up zero goals across three games. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe you guys felt like some of those times where Drew did get into the match, maybe it was partially because the derby was a bit slow to get there, or maybe you just felt that that was, you know, that's going to happen over the course of a game. But I, you know, I personally didn't think that a derby had a, had a poor game by any means. And, um, you know, maybe those same things could have happened with DeVry, certainly. And I also think it's funny that anytime uh, there's a sub uh, and it, it's Bastoni that comes out and all of a sudden the Cherby plays 90 minutes and now he's playing as a left center back, even though he's not very mobile. So I was just curious what you guys thought about a Cherby versus DeVry and that whole performance. Yeah, but, yeah. before the game, I was a bit, bit, uh, bit worried or maybe not worried, but I uh, felt that maybe this is a bit of a risk by Inzaghi. But, but as we saw, I don't think there was any play that would have gone differently if it was De Bruyne and Acerbi there. Mm. There was the, what was it? The, the layout goal. Uh, that was the uh, situation when Shiru got the ball uh, like totally alone and Acerbi wasn't following him or that that how it looked like in the uh, in the TV screen. But, uh, not sure how, how it really was, but uh, I don't think De Bruyne would have made any difference there. So I, I think it was uh, at least afterwards saying it was the correct correct move by Inzaghi to pick a Cherubi. Yeah, it's hard to say at this point that it wasn't justified. I was certainly um, worried about the move considering DeVry had been really good for the first three games. He deserved a lot of credit for kind of uh, picking himself up off the floor after effectively being benched by a Cherubi last season. A little bit unfortunate, sad for him personally that kind of got benched again at the big moment in the season so far but to his credit when he came on he still looked you know sharp professional didn't look like he was too upset or anything like that so that's great um speaking of subs how did you guys feel about the performances of augusto and fratesi in particular i think miko's man carlos augusto put in a really really good shift yeah i, I think he was he was good he he looks uh, somehow. He looks like a strong guy and and like a yeah um, fa- fast enough. And his his shot is really really good. He he managed to pull that one one yeah that right shot right footed shot was surprisingly yeah. powerful. Yeah, maybe it was a bit too bit too center. Otherwise, it could have given more problems to my nan. He looks big. Yeah, but he he just looks bulky and he, like physically like he, muscular. Yeah. Yeah, not 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 like Fratesi, but but almost because yeah, com- compared to Demarco, he's like so much more uh, physically imposing. Yeah, yeah, I thought he looked really good uh, coming in there. Um, I'm interested to see how he'll do once he gets a little bit more time with the team because obviously he missed preseason for the most part. Um, so I think that you know there's a couple of people on the you know that, that had some questions about him, but. Um, I think that, you know, he's still 24, uh, so he's pretty young. Um, he hasn't really been playing in Serie A that long uh, to step into this inter, this inter-team and then step into a derby. Uh, obviously, it was a big moment for him, but I thought that he handled it well. And I think that as the season goes along and he just gets more and more comfortable in our system that he really could be impressive and, and maybe surprised. Because, yeah, he does have that shot on him, which is something that, you know, I, I recognize from – you know, doing my research and watching YouTube videos and things of that nature, he actually does have a really decent right foot on him, even though he's a left-footed player, um, and he can certainly strike a ball. So I'm interested to see if we can kind of utilize that um, a bit more as we as we get him built into the team. 
Um, but I thought that um, I, I'd like to give a special shout out to Arnautovic. I thought that he looked pretty decent when he came on. He's not maybe as strong in the holdup play as as Taram. Um, obviously, he lost a couple of those physical battles against Chow. Um, although I think a couple of those should have been fouls. But one thing I liked that he did in particular was on the Fratesi goal. You know, him and Lautaro both knew to make that darting run yeah. towards the near post, which is what really opened up the the lane for Mkhitaryan to make that pass into Fratesi. And obviously, you know, Fratesi takes his goal extremely well. Um, and I guess we can talk about him really quickly as well. I mean, he's been – he's had a, what, what a week for that guy, right? I mean, he uh, obviously scores twice for Italy and then <laughs> turns around and then comes into the derby, scores the fifth goal, takes his shirt off, which I loved. I know some <laughs> people thought it was a stupid yellow card. And, of course, it is a stupid yellow card. But, I mean, let's be honest. We won't remember that yellow card when he gets suspended later on in the year. Um, but we will remember – him taking that shirt off um, and what it kind of meant to him and what it meant uh, really for all of us Inter fans. Um, and I, and I, I was excited by that. I really like to see it when a, when a player cares that much about a, a fifth goal in a, in a derby, you know, he did the, um, all the Italian papers are talking about his Totti moment where he, uh, I saw that. Yeah. Uh, held his <laughs> finger up to his lips to shush uh, Krunic and then held up his four fingers to indicate the, the scoreline, which was four one at the time. Um, I think this is a good transition into Barella, actually. But at this point, Fratesi might even start chewing into Barella's minutes more so than Mkhitaryan's. How did you guys think about Barella's performance? Honestly, I thought I think... he was fine. I feel like here's the thing with Barella. I feel like there's he's under the microscope so much um, by Inter fans, but then by by basically everybody, and the expectations of him day in and day out are so high. You know, and I've heard some discussion about how maybe he hasn't been that great this year and all that sort of stuff. I, I thought he played really well, and I think he he's very he's like the glue in the midfield in that, you know, um, he allows Hakan to do so much of the dirty work defensively and bust up these attacks, and his just engine and making himself available in all of these plays in the midfield, I think, is such an important feature in our ability to completely dominate the midfield. And you know, he's different than Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan's a lot more kind of, you know, dribbling and direct and, and, you know, he gets into advanced positions. But Barella, I think, has been totally fine. I thought he had a good game yesterday. I thought the entire midfield was really good yesterday. But Fratesi, you know, there's there's something about that guy. I mean, he he has this ability to just find such dangerous positions, just make these attacking runs. Like, it's very different. And he's so direct in that, like, he doesn't try to finesse his way or do, you know, some some crazy tactical thing. He's just he's just full speed ahead into the box and making himself available. And there's something about having him, um, you know, whether he starts or whether he comes off the bench uh, in our midfield that makes us so I think you know dynamic when it comes to our attack. And it's really refreshing to see. I think there's going to be something. There's a certain X factor with Fratesi um, that we don't really have in our midfield. And it's really exciting to see. Not to toot my own horn, but I've been big on Fratesi for a long time. At Sassuolo, he was just that, doing the same role, essentially running into the box, getting on the end of crosses. He scored twice against us, I think, both connecting from crosses, if I'm not mistaken. He's just clinical in front of goal. And it's really nice to have that reliable input because as much as I love Barella, he's not clinical in front of goal. In fact, he's quite uncomposed in front of goal, I feel. There has been plenty of chances over the years, uh, one-on-ones against the keeper or breakaways or, you know, chances within the box that have fallen to him that he's 
lacked that bit of composure at the critical moment and failed to convert. Fratesi's the opposite. He seems very, very good in front of goal, going back to his Sassuolo days. Um, I'm a little bit less warm on Brella's performance. I find him... I don't want to put a negative spin on it by saying that he's looking lazy, but he seems almost too relaxed if you look at the way he plays. If you, if you guys recall, the very first goal of the season was uh, a Dumfries cross into Lautaro, and that came from Barella doing this kind of outside of the boot, hooked over the top ball to Dumfries, which was brilliant. And I see him going for these kinds of plays more regularly these days, but he seems very loose and kind of languid on the ball. He just doesn't seem very agitated as much as he used to be. And maybe this is a good thing, to be honest, if he's more relaxed and more calm. Or I used to be very critical of how he always used to kind of chastise his teammates and I think, at least in my opinion, go over the top in being very vocal and demonstrative with his exasperation when his teammates, you know, fail to to score a chance or get a pass wrong. I thought that was not good for team morale. So it may be a good thing, actually, but I have noticed that he seems a lot calmer to the point where... Again, if I was to put a negative spin on it, it might come across a bit too too calm, a bit too lazy. But I'm not sure if anyone else feels that way or has seen the same things yeah. I've seen. You know, for for me personally, I, I actually don't have a problem with Barella's performances. Um, you know, you hear people, I feel like in the Italian media, a lot talk about certainties. That's like a word that I see people use uh, when they talk about certain teams. Like they say Inter has more certainties. I've heard Zanetti kind of use that as well about um, some of the past inter teams where, you know, you have these players who you just know are going to give you a certain level of performance. And I feel like that's Barella for us. I feel like he's one of those guys where, you know, you, you he may have kind of an off game from time to time, but if you don't have him in the side, you will 100% miss him. You will notice that the team plays differently. Um, there's just not that same level, that same engine in the midfield. And um, even yesterday, I thought that uh, he was good in the first half. I thought that he actually set the tone kind of early as well. Um, there was like an early challenge on on Teo uh, <laughs> where he kind of just went through his back, <laughs> you know. It was literally and, 15 um, seconds into the game. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was like 15, 30 seconds into the game, something like that. And um, he immediately goes through his back. But I, I saw that and I was like, okay, yeah, that, that means like we're, we're up for this. Like, you know, we're, you know, very, we're, we're taking this extremely seriously. Um, and I think that, you know, the team looks to players like him because, you know, his level is so high when he's having a, a great game. And obviously, you know, he is a bound your candidate now. Um, so he is one of the best players on this team. Um, and so when you see guys like that uh, bringing that level, I think that it kind of just raises the level of everybody else. So, you know, yeah, Barella, maybe he is a little comfortable. Um, certainly, uh, he probably knows that chances of him getting benched in this Inzaghi team are, are relatively low. Um, but, you know, he's kind of earned that right, in my opinion. Um, and I still think that he's a he's a massive part of what Inter is going to do um, this season and, and really going forward as well. And, yeah, Fratesi, um, he may start to give Barella some minutes from time to time. Certainly, it seems like Inzaghi would prefer to rotate those two as, a, as opposed to Mkhitaryan. And, you know, now after Mkhitaryan's derby performance, he might never rest again. So, 
Uh, we'll have to see how that goes. But, um, but yeah, and I, I think that uh, Barella is going to continue to be a, a obviously a huge part of this team. And I, I, I'm fine with his performances thus far. Mkhitaryan he's, he's doing fine. may not rest until 2025 because it seems like we're preparing a new contract for him. <laughs> Deserved. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's hard to argue against that. Just to touch upon what you said about, you know, Barella going into the back of Theo 20 seconds into the game. I think my favorite images from the the game as a whole was on the replay of the first goal where you've got Turam sprinting down the right flank. There was a replay from like the kind of front uh, front on view and Dumfries just shoulders Theo and just sends him rolling. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> and could that have been a foul? I mean, that's what you know the the Milan players were complaining about. Uh, maybe I don't. I, I think it would have been soft to give it a foul or to cancel the goal because of that. But uh, that was just. I enjoyed that so much. Sorry, did you guys think it was a foul on Chow? I'm, I'm curious to know. Did you guys? I no, mean, if that was no, a, if that was somebody. Not. Absolutely not. He went no, down okay. super easy, looking to to get the foul, kind of like Bastoni does when he gets pressured. But Bastoni's far smarter than. Chiao in those situations. Chiao went down yeah, no, way too easily looking for that. And Taram did a really good job of making yeah, yeah, it yeah. very clear that he wasn't doing anything. You know, exactly. it was like, like he, he had his hands up, up, you know, like Yeah, he had his hands up. He hesitated a little bit before like actually pushing through Fiao yeah, yeah. when he was on the floor. Like he did a good job of that discipline. But you know, it's it's interesting. Like I, I noticed the same things you guys are talking about. It's did the like don't you just feel though, like when you watch our guys play? That they just know, they just know that that scudetto they lost to Milan was total BS, and they should not have lost it. And like every time since then, really, that they've come out, they've just been so fired up and just so pissed off. And like even people who are like pretty demonstrative, demonstrably not aggressive, like someone like Dumfries, right? He just, he just, he's up for it when he plays against Milan and Barella. And, and everybody, they just have. I mean, I know it's a derby. I know there's history there. There are city rivals and all that sort of stuff. But, but at least recently, right? Like we've also had this like mental and physical edge, that determination. That, like we're not going to beat these guys. We're going to like try to destroy these guys. And obviously, it doesn't end up happening at times. But we we've, we've dominated them now in a way, like five wins in a row. That hasn't really happened in the history of this of this fixture. And you know, even when you look at the scoreline yesterday. Like the five one is a little misleading in the sense that when Leal scored that goal, it was two one for for you know an, another twelve thirteen fourteen minutes, and it was kind of cagey for a while. But you know it's hard to say that we didn't like we were just ready. We're ready. We're fired up. Like the way these guys play against Milan, it's it's honestly just so awesome to see as a fan. Like they're they're up for it. They're ready. They don't shrink away. You know from a mental standpoint at all. Well, that's the thing that makes me the most happy that we finally really, really put them to the sword here. Um, I'm a bit of an extremist in like against Milan, you know, it, it's not enough to beat them. It's we want to crush them. And for me, I guess I look at the the long game or the bigger picture here as well, which is to kind of build that mental superiority. I feel like despite beating them five times in a row, I honestly felt like some of the score lines were flattering to Milan especially that 1-0 game and that 2-0 yeah. game, we could have won those games 3-0 each. And, you know, I remember saying, thinking to myself, you know, 2-0 is enough, let's go for a third, let's go for a third. And yeah. in the second leg where they inexplicably lined up in a 3-5-2 to, to mirror our formation, 
they did nothing for the first half, literally nothing. And we should have taken more advantage. And the reason I get kind of like, uh, dare I say, greedy about these kinds of things is I think in the long game, they matter. And the analogy that I always point to here is Juventus and the kind of mental superiority they held over us for so long. Obviously, that was exacerbated by the you know, the advantages they gained from their you know, systematic corruption, but we won't go there because we'll be talking all day. Um, <laughs> but when they came back to Serie A after spending a season in Serie B, we looked worried. You know what I mean? It felt like, oh, shit, you know, the big bad boss is back now. We still um, do, don't we? We still feel like that, man. Sometimes, I guess you've sometimes. Been. But um, yeah. it felt very much the case when they first came back from Serie B. And even though they finished seventh for two years in a row before Conte took over, even with Mourinho, we had trouble beating them. I think we only beat them once in the league uh, in those two or three seasons. Um, And then obviously, you know, during the Conte and Allegri years, we pretty much never beat them. But that's the kind of clear mental stranglehold they had on on us for a long time. And that's the kind of uh, trauma that, I would like us to inflict upon Milan or that I wanted us to inflict upon Milan for the years that we had this superiority. And the most gratifying thing for me last night was that this was the biggest step in that direction. This was the biggest show of force. It wasn't just a beating. It was a like a real beatdown. It was a humiliation. And so, yeah, for me, that's easily the highlight of, of this entire five-in-a-row streak. Yeah, um, and it's really interesting now, I think, for, for Milan because obviously it's only the fourth match day, um, so nothing is necessarily decisive, but you kind of have to wonder wh- where do they go from here? Because, um, you know, even with the new signings, uh, they obviously, you know, th- they can't beat us. It's it's worse. <laughs> you know, we've, we've, we've made it even worse than it was um, when they had, you know, a worse midfield, theoretically, right? Uh, this was supposed to be billed as, oh, this is a new look Milan with these players that are going to be, uh, a difference makers. And obviously um, that, that didn't really prove to be the case. So, you know, obviously this will be a mental hit on them. Um, one thing I will say about this Milan side is that they have kind of bounced back uh, in prior times from some of the beatdowns that we've given them. So I'll be interested to see if, uh, if they do that again, uh, they obviously have, I believe Newcastle in the midweek for champions league. Um, so I'm curious to see mentally if, this does have an effect on Milan and if they start to drop a couple of points here and there, or if they, if they bounce right back. Mika, your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I want to get back to that two, uh, one goal. Uh, as was mentioned that uh, it was only a two, two, one situation, but or the score was two, one. Uh, but I was just looking back at that. Uh, I skimmed, skimmed through the match before this podcast and, and, I didn't see anything from Milan uh, other than maybe one counter attack, and they, they had like nothing. They couldn't create anything. They they didn't get any momentum from that two two one call, and I think it, it comes down to the fact that uh, Inter is uh, is simply so much better. We, we are like so much com- more composed, and uh, uh, it comes to my second point. Uh, that Inzaghi is is absolutely schooling Pioli <laughs> in, in this year. Like, like they've sc- they scored one goal in five games. It's like, what? 
how is it even possible to like not get more goals than one? And and we are like scoring scoring for fun. I saw yeah. Like, I saw a really funny yeah, like, shot. It was the first <laughs> half stats, and interestingly enough, we had two goals at at uh, I think zero point eight xg, <laughs> but Milan had seventy eight possession, like seventy something percent possession, and they had zero point zero three xg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exa- exactly that we uh, we managed to control the game without the ball so well. Like uh, like we discussed uh, about the Fiorentina Fiorentina match, and even though Milan had a bit more dangerous position in the first half, I think, but still there was like this one uh, Theo run to the box, and that was it basically. But but Jay, we can't let Jay off the hook here. As as the resident Milan fan here, what what happened? Diagnose <laughs> diagnose Milan's performance and their shortcomings here, so we all understand what happened here on the Milan side. Look, um, for the first four minutes, Milan had the ball only. You know, into the into couldn't touch him in the first four minutes. <laughs> Thanks, Pioli. To, to quote to quote a great man. Um, you know, look, didn't he use that same, same, yeah, almost yeah. the same quote? Yeah, yeah. The they, they, they were in control for the first 11 minutes or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, like, yeah. like I said before the match, that it was going to go one of two ways. One was we're going to pass our way through them, like we had in the previous derbies, or their, their new look, fitter and more physical team would make that a lot more difficult. Turns out it didn't. And not to overreact over one game, but I think this game really highlighted a lot of holes in their squad. Krunic is not a DM. Reinders and Loftus-Cheek might be stronger than like a Tanali or Benessa, but as, as one of you guys pointed out earlier, they're not great on the ball either. So they're, they're going to have difficulty block uh, breaking down teams that play like a low block or any teams that can defend with organization, really. So there's a lack of creativity there. And Loftus-Cheek has horrendous fitness issues anyway. But the biggest thing for them is that they didn't buy a starting center back, right? And it's like similar to how we were screaming out for uh, a top-quality defender, you know, back when we were linked to the likes of <laughs> fucking Balogun and Skamaka and stuff, you know, even going that far back, we were saying, I'm worried about the defense, man. I don't want to rely on a Cherby and Damian, whatever, for another for another year. To their credit, they're still holding it together. But, you know, we at least took that big uh, took that big leap with spending $30 million on Pavard. That's what they needed to do. Chiao had some encouraging performances towards the end of last season. And it's easy to get carried away when a young guy puts in, you know, some good performances here and there. But what ended up happening is they effectively entrusted a starting position to him. And you're starting to see why he's considered talented, but still extremely raw and unpolished. Don't forget, this is a guy who joined from relegated Schalke. You know, he was brutally exposed, lack of experience, lack of smarts, lack of just general, you know, his, his overall defensive skill was exposed there. Their starting defense is Tamori and, and Tiao. That's, I would be worried if I was a Milan fan. Um, you know, and their backups are Kier, who is now 35 or something. And even though Acherby's 35, I think, you know, we can see who's kind of aged more gracefully. Um, 
Kalulu seems to be a one-hit wonder or a one-season wonder. Uh, unfortunately, that one season where he played well ended up winning them the Scudetto. But since then, I think even most Milan fans would unanimously agree he's been very poor since then. And um, that's it. Like, they needed to buy a, a starting starting defender. Yeah, that's, yeah a, no, that's a really good point, is that they should have spent some probably some more money on that on that back line. Because, um, I mean, do you really need another a backup right winger, uh, like a Chuck Weze, more than you needed a, a real good center back? Because uh, if you look at a guy like Chiao, you know, young guy, like you said, from a relegated Schalke team, 22 years old, I mean, if that guy was in this inter side, he would basically be like Bisek. Yeah. You know, he probably wouldn't be getting a lot of time. Um, he'd be maybe a good rotation guy for us. But, um, you know, for them, obviously, he's playing a, a ton of minutes. Um, and so, yeah, that's going to be, a, I think, a real concern for them over the course of 38 games, um, especially because I think we kind of gave a lot of teams in the league the blueprint for how to play against this Milan side. Um, if you sit deep, there, it's going to be very hard for them to break you down because they don't have a lot of creativity in the midfield. And you take the dynamic players away from them um and then you know you have a really inexperienced guy at center back um and especially you know tomorrow will come back into that side but i've never been really blown yeah, away by, I, by I don't like tomorrow anyway yeah yeah exactly exactly the more i look at the milan squad the more i feel like they need that they've got glaring holes in their squad i mean the oka four signing is i mean if you want to look at it optimistically it gives them uh, like a forward who's you know, who can move around the pitch a lot and not, you know, be as static as, as a Giroud. But obviously, as we all know, if you kind of sacrifice a number nine for a guy who kind of goes walkabout, my sort of Australian term there for you, um, <laughs> it's you lose that kind of positional reference, you know, to, to build your attacks off, as Sterling mentioned. Or Milan didn't have any dangerous moves or moments last night which didn't involve Giroud. And so you put an Oka for there instead of Giroud. Is it going to look any better? Probably not. Um, no. so they need a number nine. That Luca Romero kid they took from Lazio is talented, but you know he's only eighteen. Uh, probably a bit too green to entrust as like the as like the anchor in midfield. Yeah, they'll get Benessa back, but even if they had Benessa, I don't feel like he's necessarily the best DM slash anchor for them either. And then, as we mentioned, those those issues that they have in defense, and don't forget their captain Calabria is, you know, I, th- I think even Milan fans are pretty divided on on him. I think a lot of them really strongly <laughs> don't care for him as a footballer. Yeah, I think you're spot yeah. on as well, Jay, about them needing the number nine because um, I know yeah. that they were obviously linked late in the window to Taremi. Um, yeah. I think that if Taremi could have came in, um, that that would have been a huge difference maker potentially for Milan. I, I, I even said that I think that they would have been actually in the Scudetto battle if uh, they could have gotten Taremi's deal across the finish line. Because um, I know, you know, obviously there's questions about the quality of that player. Um, I personally think that he is a really good player, but I, I think that what you're saying is spot on where they, they needed they needed another reference point in that team. Um, and Giroud, uh, I think Giroud is obviously a very good player, um, but he's also getting up there in age. So trying to really rely on him as your lone center forward over a long season, I think uh, could potentially cause some issues as you kind of get into those winter months and the season kind of gets long and you have games every three days. And maybe Okafor can potentially be that guy. I, I don't know. Um, I think he's brought in partially because he can play multiple positions across the front line, but 
if you do end up playing Okafor, you have to completely change the way that you play. Yeah. Uh, because he's not going to be a big hold up guy um, the way that a Giroux is or the way that a, maybe a Taremi could have been for them. So really then you, you have essentially three guys up front who are really going to be trying to get in behind and try and run and gun. So that can work in certain deal in certain games. Uh, maybe it'll even be better for them, maybe in like a champions league where teams are not going to necessarily sit deep, but um, yeah, I think that they, they missed out by not getting that Taremi deal across the finish line and, and really Luka Jovic is who they ended up bringing in. And that guy hasn't been a serious footballer in like two years. So I don't think he's going to do too much over there. Yeah. I, I, I saw that he, he actually played yesterday that, and I, I had no idea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, he came it's off the bench for some Galliadini time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but with, with, with Milan, honestly, I, I look, I'm not trying to be insulting or anything like that, but th- there's a there's a level of like, you know, favorite team goggles that you need to think that a reindeers Krunich and Loftus Cheek midfield is going to give you know probably one of the top five midfields in the in the world issues. You know, it's just look, Loftus Cheek uh, is not good enough. He he's not good enough. Yeah. He's just not. Yeah. And, and, and reindeers, I think, has potential, but he's not a finished product. And, and Krunich, like we mentioned, is also just not that great. Benacer is going to help them probably more than most of the players that they don't have available right now coming back. But the, the midfield, you know, as young and dynamic and athletic and fast as they might be, it's just it's not a good enough midfield to compete at, you know, the kind of levels that I think some of their fans think that they have ambition on competing. They're just not. And look, I, I've downplayed Tonali quite a bit. I think, you know, his best attribute is his shoving ability. Um, <laughs> Two-handed like, shoving ability. He's a talented player for their midfield that they lost. And uh, honestly, I you looking at their midfield now, I don't think you can say that their midfield right now is better than it was last year when they had a healthy Benacer for some time and Tonali. Just don't see it. Uh, yeah, I was... Uh... Uh, can I point out that Sterling made a good point about the um, Milan midfield that, and how we like took away the advantage they could have had by by like playing very deep and sit there and wait wait for them because they couldn't do anything with the ball or or mo- mostly anything with the ball the midfielders it was like 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 discussed before it was Chiru creating everything for them in this derby and and uh, I think. Uh, other coaches will take notes from this match, how, how you stop Milan. Just sit deep and, and let them try to do something and then hit at the break. That, that's how it, how it, yeah, that's how it looks. Okay. How, how you can beat them. Okay. Um, all right. Let's move on to the next match, which is Wednesday night, uh, European time. We are going to... We're playing away, right? As I see that. Yeah. 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 Let me start with this question who is one player who didn't start the derby that you would lock in for a starting spot today i'll start with you Erfan. who do you want uh i'd like to see pavard uh it's about time that he uh plays and gets some time and it gets a start i'd like to see him play uh he'd be my choice just uh you know i, I don't anticipate real um so say that to be an immensely difficult game they're a tricky team 
Um, but, you know, I think it'd be interesting to see him play. But as I'm saying it, I'm starting to think it's probably not going to be the case because I, ju- I just don't feel like a dog is going to kind of gamble in that sense. But let's see. Is that anything to do with Darmian perhaps having a slightly off game or is it just because he's, you know, our main no. signing? No, I think it's because he's our main signing. He's a player I've been super excited about getting. I, I think Darmian was fine. Leal's going to make a lot of people look like that. Um, you just have to prevent any type of one-on-ones with him. So I don't hold that against Darmian. I think it's more about me just wanting to see Pavard in action, you know, a player that we spent a lot of money on, a player that I've been wanting since the beginning of the transfer window. So it'd be nice to just see some extended play from him. Fair enough. Sterling. Yeah. So uh, I think, you know, the, the obvious answer is Pavard, um, as Irfan said. Um, however, I think he, Irfan was also correct in saying that I, I don't know if we're actually going to see him, at least from the start. Um, this is a really important fixture um, away at Sociedad um, to start off our Champions League campaign. We really need to get the three points uh, or a minimum a, a draw here. Because this is like a deceptively tricky group where, you know, you have two really good teams in, in Benfica and Real Sociedad, uh, which, you know, I think over the course of the of the group stage, we should be able to come through. But I think that you really want to start your Champions League campaign off on the right foot um, because you don't want to get behind the eight ball uh, and then have to be, you know, have to scramble later on in the group stage to try and, to try and earn points. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Inzaghi decides not to rotate much. Maybe you'll see one person change from our lineup or maybe two, um, but I don't think you're going to see the type of rotations that we saw like, you know, towards the end of last season where it seemed like you were just playing two different 11s. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if maybe DeVry came back in um, or maybe even Fratezi gets to start or, or maybe Pavard, but I don't think you're going to see all of those guys at once. I think you'll probably see either or. Um, just because, you know, knowing Inzaki, he's just a he's a conservative guy. And, I mean, he, he knows his team. Um, and I believe that the, the game, the next Serie A game, I believe, is against Empoli. Um, and so I feel like that's probably where we'll see a little bit more rotation. But I, I don't really see him uh, rotating a ton going into this this Sociedad fixture. Because I, I agree it's a, it's a really important game. Uh, but, yeah, if I could choose one player to uh, to see, it would, it would definitely be Pavard. Very good. Miko? Yeah, <laughs> nothing to add, basically. Uh, I agree that uh, I don't see too many changes coming because it's the Champions League starting game and it's an away fixture, so we want to have it have it like, a, like keep going like we've been doing now. So I don't see Insagi changing much, but I think Pavar is the one who who can be thrown into the starting lineup to a Champions League game just like that because he's like the probably he, he has probably the best pedigree he's like a most experienced winner in this squad so I think he will do fine he's been yeah, Jay, after yeah. Aslani who who would you like to see Jay um, play ninety minutes again, I was that. actually gonna say Clausens um, I, I keep calling him. Clausen's. There's no S at the end of his name. It's just Clausen. <laughs> I think it's like a throwaway. I think it's like some leftover trauma from Gosens, who scored again. By the way, um, another towering header. But they, but but they lost. They yeah, lost. they did. They did. Unfortunately, but um, um, no. I was gonna say Clausen's, um, kind of half seriously, half jokingly. Uh, the reason for that is 
Mkhitaryan's importance to this team cannot be understated. And so that kind of puts you at a, or puts me at a fork in the road where on one hand, because he is so important, we need to use him for this game. On the other hand, because he is so important, you know, we could do with not running him into the ground considering he is, what, 35, 34. Well, that's what I was thinking about when I was thinking of Klaassen. But yeah, it has to be Pavard, of course, or Fratesi maybe. But other than that, there's not much variation needed, I think. I think it's important for these big teams to be able to handle these quick um, quick fire series of games, you know what I mean? It's, if anything, a bit cowardly if the coach worries too much about his team getting fatigued or suspended and all this kind of stuff and starts rotating, you know, out of fear of that. Obviously, there's the whole fitness element that we don't get to see or that we're not privy to behind the scenes. But, you know, the example I always point to is that Scudetto run that we had under Conte where I think it was like Skriniar, Barella, Brozovic and Bastoni all were one yellow card away from suspension for like three months. But Conte just played them 90 minutes every game. You know what I mean? For like three months in a row. And like that, that's what winners do. That's what winning coaches get out of winning players. I think we're seeing Inzaghi kind of develop a bit more of that. I'm seeing less fearfulness from him, at least at the start of this season, which I really appreciate. And it's really winning me over as well. So, yeah, I think minimal rotation for this game will be good. As it happens, Sociedad play in six hours from now, um, I think. And they are playing against Real Madrid. So oh, no. hopefully they get demolished um, because they're unbeaten so far. One win and three draws sitting in 11th place but I am a bit wary I I do think this could if we take this opportunity to transition into predictions I think this could be like a 1-1 draw I think we historically struggle against Spanish teams as mentioned we'll have the advantage of an extra day's rest but I don't think this will be an easy game I think it will be low scoring pretty cagey and we might come out on top but I do think there's a chance of a draw here what do you guys think let's go with Sterling yeah, I was going to go with a uh, 1-0 as the prediction uh with you know Inter uh being the winner in that in that match. Um I think that uh if you want me to predict the goal, I'm going to say it's going to come from Denzel Dumfries. So I'm predicting oh. a yeah, I'm predicting uh, Dumfries to continue his really good form, maybe a back post header um from a DeMarco cross or something along those lines. Um but yeah, I'm expecting it to be a, a fairly difficult match. Um, and like you said, we always seem to struggle against Spanish teams for whatever reason. Um, so I, I see us maybe getting a goal and then kind of holding on at the end, but maybe just squeaking it out and getting away with a, with a one zero. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to say a two, one win. I think we're due for like some unfortunate random type goal, whether it's like a deflected goal or some kind of penalty or, some BS like that. So I'll give them a goal, um, but I think we'll be able to pull it out. And one quick question though, before we get to Miko and Jay's predict, well, Jay already predicted, but before we get to Miko's prediction, what what on earth, what's the status of Alexis Sanchez? Like, is he available? Is he, is he medically fit? Is he around? Like, I, I haven't heard much about what's going on with Sanchez. Uh, he, he played I, I, the international he, break. Yeah, yeah. He, he played like 90 minutes there. And he was oh, on he the did? bench. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. Yesterday he was on the bench. Yeah. He was on the bench, so, but he was also suspiciously absent from the screen. I did not see him for a second. Okay. I I even saw Bissek <laughs> and look. I even saw. I think. Yeah, I even saw Agume on the screen for like a good ten seconds. <laughs> I didn't see Sanchez once. So I'm. I did see him during a goal celebration. He popped up really, right, really right. briefly. I was suspicious that we just put his name on this on the you know, team sheet to to make it seem like he was available when in reality he's not. So I have no answer to that question. But um, apparently he's available. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I was about to say also also uh, one two win win for us. I think uh, we are so we are so major major at this point and we are like on a good run that we will we will grab wins against uh, these type of teams which are uh, clearly at lower level i feel like sociedad is a lower level even if they are in champions league i believe did they had uh david silva last season yeah and he retired i think yeah so i think that that affects their performance a lot that's how i feel They But have yeah, Kubo now. Okay. <laughs> 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 <But> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm I'm not well prepared for this Real Sociedad questions. But yeah, uh. that, that, that's that's what my prediction for this match. The the Real Madrid away game doesn't help them at that. Yeah. Uh, for this one it is interesting that they decide to have the match late on a sunday um before they go into a champions league usually teams that play in champions league and both of those are champions league teams this year you would think they would have played the match you know at least a day earlier so um i think that's interesting and i think it will actually have an impact on on our match and so hopefully they're they're a little bit more tired but uh weird scheduling from la liga there yeah yeah aren't things going too well faster like it's just Everything's so nice right now. Aren't we just due for a classic, you know, momentary slip into crisis Inter, even just for like one game, you know? Yeah. When do we play Sassuolo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, damn. Two, two games where it's like you know, you're watching someone walking, and then all of a sudden they just slip just for like a second. You know, they lose their balance just for a second. Aren't we due for one of those moments? Well, not so early still. I think maybe <laughs> that moment's going to come uh, certainly at some point, but I, I feel like. Uh, We're still in a really, really good moment right now. I don't see us uh, having too much of a slip up until when, whenever we play Juventus. That's when the uh, yeah. race will start. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's an away match, the first one against Juventus. against Juventus. Yeah, but it's like in over a month or something. Look, I'll tell you what. If this was If this was, you know, 15-year-old Jay playing Pro Evolution Soccer uh, Master League, I would play Sommer, Pavard, De Vrij, Bastoni, Dumfries, Fratesi, Aslani, Klaassen, Augusto, Toram, and Anatovic. <laughs> But, you know, thankfully, that's I'm no longer 15 years old, okay? So, um, yeah, look, I yeah, think, well, uh, like I said, I think it'll be KG. I think 1-1 or maybe a 1-0 or maybe even a 0-0. I think all of us have predicted, you know, less than like not over three goals you know, combined. So, and, yeah. and all margins within like yeah. a one goal margin. So I think we all agree it's going to be KG. I think we all acknowledge that Spanish teams just seem to do well against us. And, and also just in Europe in general, Spanish teams have inordinately good track records against other teams. So mm-hmm. 
it won't be an easy game. But, um, you know, this team surprises me sometimes. So I'm hoping for a pleasant surprise where we, you know, again, kind of show our strength. I think now's a perfect time for us to continue showing our strength after that demolition yesterday. What do you guys think about the striker rotation? Should we do that now or? Um, I don't think so. I think you leave Taram and Lotaro there at least for this game, um, and then I think you do the rotation against Empoli. I think you bring Arnautovic in to start that game, probably next to Lotaro, but even next or or next to Taram, either one. But I think that uh, for this game, you, you go with what's been working. Agreed. Agreed. I, I'm just the whole striker situation. Like I said previously, it's a little bit of a sensitive issue for me. I'm just a little bit frightened <laughs> of having you know a 35 year old and a 35-year-old on the bench. <laughs> that's his striking options. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I, that. That's the one thing. Obviously, I wasn't able to come on and talk about the, the Mercato and things of that nature, but um, that that has been um, one of my primary concerns. There's actually there's, there's two positions in the squad where I have that concern. Um, one of them is is central center back, where we have, you know, obviously a Cherby and DeVry. Um, and then we have, you know, center forward, where you have uh, – Arnautovic and, and Sanchez, um, where you know you got you're re- you're relying on some really old bodies to have really good seasons, um, and sometimes that's going to happen, uh, but sometimes it's not, and sometimes when it it comes down to uh, it, 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 when you're when you're 34, 35, 36, you can be good enough today and not good enough tomorrow. It's shocking some sometimes how quickly the the switch can flip, and you're just all of a sudden not dynamic enough i think we saw that like with jeco for example where you know his mind knew what to do he still had technical quality but physically um at times it was just really a struggle for him um so i do i do have those concerns about certain positions in the squad and whether or not we could at some point potentially get get found out but um the good thing is that we do you know have a good mix i would say across the squad in terms of in terms of age but um Hopefully, we hold on for one more season. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, this is this is one of those moments where it's so important to to realize how important, um, you know, it's 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 nice to see how uh, well Taram has adjusted because if he had even some, you know, if he was slow out the gate or if he had some issues uh, making his way into the starting position then we know Inzaghi's instincts are to go with the more experienced hand. And we could have run the risk, especially after his debut of Inzaghi starting Arnautovic with, with Taram and, you know, doing to Arnautovic what he ended up essentially doing to Dzeko, which is a, a player who was brought in to be like the third striker, ends up basically playing 90 minutes a game and playing two times a week and all that sort of stuff. So th- honestly, like, I feel like some of the fears I had have been abated a little bit by Taram adjusting so well, playing so well with Lotaro and, you know, not just his goals, which have finally come, but also just his overall play and link up has been so good that luckily, you know, hopefully we'll just continue to rely on Arnautovic and Sanchez to just play a few minutes here and there and not, you know, tangible uh, starting minutes. Cause uh, I don't think that that would go over so well with their ages and their injury histories. You can't you can't play them together. That's a really big issue for me. I mean, like, there's not many situations where you should have to play them together, but you can't not have one of Lautaro or Taram on the pitch. Sanchez and Arnautovic playing together is just like nightmare fuel for me. 
and it means that our rotation options are limited unless you want to really go back in time and start playing like Mkhitaryan or Quadrado up front. Um, but, you know, let's not go there. Yeah, and Anartavis did say he's not a backup, so he wants that position. So uh, I don't know if you saw that. You guys saw that interview that he had during the international break after he scored his brace. Um, yeah. He basically said, you know, I, I didn't come here to be a backup player and I'm going to fight for my starting spot. But that's what you want, right? I mean, you want a guy who's going to be pushing – to get into the team. Uh, you don't want someone who's too complacent. And, you know, at Jay, at some point, they, they are going to play together. Um, Sanchez and Arnautovic are going to start a match uh, at some point later on in this season. Uh, maybe it'll be um, when we're, you know, a little bit more comfortable in the league, or maybe it'll be in a Copa Italia fixture or something along those lines. But with the rotation, the way that we were rotating towards the end of last season, at some point, I think that you will see those two uh, starting a match together. They probably, you know, they're not going to finish the 90 minutes together, but, um, I, I actually think that they'll be fine. Um, it, it really just comes down to how often we have to see it. But if we have to see it for 60 minutes um, for the third match in a week, I, I'm not that nervous about it, depending yeah. on who the opponent is. Um, I think that they, one thing that they do understand is they know how to play this game. You know, they're, they're, that's why you get experienced players because you know that they're going to bring a certain level. Um, and so if they're just, you know, having to trot out, you know, once every couple of weeks towards the back end of the season to start together. I think they can give us 60 good minutes. I think we'll be okay with that. But um, the injuries is, is really what's more so a concern for me. Yeah, hopefully they start against some, you know, relegation teams like Empoli and, and Roma. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I, I will say one of the things that's so refreshing about this season, and I do think it's a big part of why we've been successful so far, is that We've kind of saved Inzaghi from himself in a certain way. Like, like just him making substitutions now, and I don't have to see Gagliardini or Jekko trying to come onto the pitch while other options are still on the bench or they're replacing other players. Like, now I usually don't cringe, like, when he makes subs because almost all the players that he would bring on, I'm, like, okay with. Like, it's kind of nice to see, uh, you know, Augusto get some minutes, Fratezi get minutes, even Quadrado and obviously my boy Aslani. Like, it's nice to see him go to the bench and me not just like cowering in shame at what's happening. Yeah. So someone made a really good that, point, which yeah. was that um, sorry, someone made a really good point, which was that our unused subs from the derby yesterday include Sensi, Quadrado, Klassen, Pavard, and Sanchez. You know, yeah, that's yeah. that's impressive. That's that's good to see. So. The, the rotation options do seem a bit better, even if we did lose some, you know, established quality like Brozovic and, and um, Skriniar. But the team feels more even, you know. The backups yeah. are certainly better, even if um, even if we did lose some big names. Shall we Agreed. move on to Empoli? There's probably not a whole lot to predict, considering it's, you know, two games ahead. But Empoli are currently 20th in the league, um, one of the favourites to go down. Uh, do we expect much issue with you know with Empoli they haven't even scored a goal yet <laughs> yeah I just checked zero goals scored and five conceded <laughs> yeah then they're playing against Roma so they should win um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is actually yeah relegation battle exactly exactly yeah. um, uh, against Juventus they had zero shots on goal and I mean it's a tough run for them Juventus Roma and then Inter in a row so you know, hopefully we don't make this any more complicated than it needs to be. The only issue is that it's away, but 
you know, at this point, we should be mature enough to handle an away trip to the 20th uh, ranked team in the league. Any any early early predictions or, you know, wishes in terms of rotation? How about you, uh, Irfan? Yeah. Um, it depends a little bit on, I guess, what we see yeah. in the Champions League fixture. But, yeah, if you were ever going to, if you were ever going to give, you know, someone like Quadrado or Augusto a start and, you know, maybe change things up a little bit in the midfield um, with a with a start for Fratesi or something. I think you'll see it against Empoli. I, I still don't think you'll see like some wholesale rotation going on, but I, I think you might see one piece or two come in. It should be it should be an easy fixture. I don't think it'll be some kind of blowout, though the way we've been playing, who knows? But I could see a pretty comfortable two zero or three zero win against these guys. They they really struggle. Um to score, and I, I don't see them giving us a lot of issues. Agreed. Agume, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see that. You know, I'm actually like an Agume fan. I actually, I would love to see him tried out in that deep position as a backup to Tolanaglu or an, an alternative backup, I guess, to Tolanaglu for, for Aslani, because um, I think that he actually gives a little bit more of a physical presence. But anyways, we, we don't need to go down that road because that's, ne- that's never going to happen. <laughs> he needs to go on loan to Turkey or anywhere at this point, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, any, anywhere that he can go right now just to get minutes, he, he needs to take that option. Um, yeah, just to move on to the Empoli match, this is the type of match that would have terrified me in the past. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, away a, a at the 20th, place team is like classic inter meltdown time yep. um, where all of a sudden they start scoring worldies and Hondanovic is a frozen piece of pizza in the goal. Um, you know, but I, I don't but wearing uh, a cap because it's a daytime game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll be, it'll be 6am uh, my time. I'll wake up and I'll see Hondanovic with a hat on and I'll just go back to bed. Um, <laughs> but no, this is a, uh, this, this should be a, a pretty easy one. I think for us, um, I'm thinking probably a, a two or, or three nil game. Um, and hopefully we will be able to do a little bit of rotation a- as was mentioned. I don't see us swapping out the 11, um, nor do, do, do I think we should this early in the season. But um, I think that some of those guys who um, have been on the fringe, who I think deserve some minutes, guys like Arnautovic, guys like Ratezi, um, hopefully that'll be a good opportunity for them to, to show why uh, Inter decided to bet on them in the first place. I know my man Miko is rooting for his man Carlos Augusto to get a start here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I want I want to see Augusto start and and maybe as said Quadrado as well, and probably if predicted right that uh, Turam and Lautaro will start start against Sociedad, then then we will see. I don't know. Maybe Arnautovic getting a start against Empoli. I think that would be fine. Maybe with Lautaro. Lautaro is so essential for the team that I don't think he's he's gonna get benched too often. Even though I don't know, I feel like his playing style is something that it should require uh, some some rest at some point. He, he can't play like like this type of minutes uh, twice a week. But let, let's see, let's see. It's interesting to see how how his rotation will be handled in the future. But yeah, that he's captain uh, as well. He's, yeah, he yeah, yeah. Talking. Actually, yeah, I was actually thinking that that uh, uh, will it affect it even more that he won't be dropped. But absolutely, my I, opinion. I mean, last season or the season? No, I think the season before, 
I was looking through the stats and there was only like two games in the entire season that Lautaro played a full 90 minutes. Whereas this season, I think he's played 90 in most games already. So that's obviously to do with him being the main man and not Lukaku anymore. But um, also to do with the fact that he's captain, you know. I think Lautaro has to start this game even if he plays 90 minutes against Sociedad. For one, is, I, you know, Lataro has had uh, drops in form in the past and these, you know, long droughts and whatever, but none of it really struck me as being fitness-related. I never felt like he was, uh, he's exhausted, he needs a rest. I've, I've thought that about Barella in the past, but not Lautaro. Um, yeah. He's true, one of those guys true. who, as, as you said, on one hand, that combative style of his almost needs rest, but that's also something that's very difficult to, to sacrifice, you know, even to rest him. Like, as Sterling mentioned, this is a bananas, a potential banana skin game, or it would have been for a, you know, for a banter era. If this was 2016, I'd be saying 1-0 Empoli 100%. But um, this is one of those games that has the potential for an upset because it's just, you know, classic Inter against the 20th place team. What could go wrong, you know? And I think having that kind of ragged striker who can score these you know dog shit goals out of nowhere is is essential so Latara can provide that so assuming obviously no injuries or any major issues he needs to start against Sociedad and against Empoli he should be at this point pretty much undroppable because of the way he plays uh, because of what he brings to our team and also yeah the fact that he's our captain now he needs to be yeah, well like embedded. Me, yeah like Miko mentioned even though he didn't get on the score sheet against Milan he he was massive for us, and it's interesting to see. Like you know, we don't track this in in um, in football the way we do in like hockey, but the hockey assists that that he has also, where he's the the second the second uh, pass before the goal. Um, he he's been doing that so well this season, like just like holding up the ball and then just dropping a dime to like somebody who's running into space, um, which really just like opens up that defense, and he. I don't know. It's it's really impressive to see how he's blossomed into into that kind of even playmaking uh, role. Like the, the vision he has um, as a center forward, I think is is really really impressive. Agreed. Yeah, and, and I just checked that um, that his injury record is actually pretty good. His oh yeah, he's yeah. Missed, he's missed like uh, thirteen games, uh, thirteen games in his inter career, and it's been like. Uh, what six six seasons now? Or... Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's he's yeah, very rarely yeah. injured. When he does get injured, they're usually you know very small, minor injuries, which only force him out for a game or two. If anything, he's probably missed more games through suspension than injury. Um, but he's coming along leaps and bounds. His finishing seems to be more composed. He keeps his eye on the ball instead of you know sliding in and hacking at it like a like a child. His awareness <laughs> is is improving. His maturity is improving. So there have been many times over the last few years where I thought I saw something along the lines of this kind of development, only for him to plunge into a five month uh, drought. Uh, <laughs> but I think you know, I think this time it might be for real. Yeah, I think the encapsulation of who he's turned into for this team is you know, if you look at the Taram goal from yesterday. Um, the ball comes into Lataro at basically the bottom of the of the center circle, and he hits a one-time no-look pass yep. behind yep. the 
Milan back line into Dumfries, who's already on his horse. I mean, that's just um, knowing your your teammates, knowing your system, um, yeah. and then having the actual technical quality to to execute. And obviously, you know, Tarom still has a lot to do, but he can't do that if Latar doesn't do what he does first, right? So, again, that's exactly. the hockey assist that uh, Irfan was talking about there where, you know, he's the one who really is the brain of the offense now in a way, and he's the one who – who starts so many of our attacks with those long switching passes. And uh, yeah, he's, he is undroppable um, essentially, you know, uh, I am curious to see how we'll play in those times when we, we do start a match without him, but um, every important game he has to play. One quick thing before we finish, um, yeah, do, um, can anyone tell me what position Sevilla is in, 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 in Spanish league? <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think they are 20th. Oh wow! Okay, they are twenty. Which means they're going to run the league again. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. They'll be say they'll be playing the Champions League uh, from Segunda at this rate. Um, they are twentieth in the table with zero wins in three games, uh, and long may that continue. Yes, there we go. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> All right, well, let's wrap up there. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Sterling. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. See you guys. Anytime. Thank you.